This is the Resilient Schools podcast on the Bee Podcast Network. I am the creator, Jethro Jones. In this podcast, we help schools become resilient, which means that they are able to adapt and overcome any situation that presents itself. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Resilient Schools podcast. Today, I'm excited to have uh, Emily Torres on the program. She's been an educator with Spokane Public Schools for 21 years. And in in 2016, she helped pilot a program for trauma-impacted teens. This unique counselor-in-the-classroom approach uses curriculum designed around self-awareness. She has worked alongside psychologist Kent Hoffman, Dr. Russell Colts, and Sean Barrett to develop and implement this specially designed curriculum. Emily is a trauma-informed trainer through the Community Resilience Initiative, where she has also been a presenter introducing others to holistic curriculums at their annual Beyond Paper Tigers Trauma-Informed Care Conference. And by the way, she was the 2022 Lilac City Teacher of the Year. So Emily, welcome to the show today. Appreciate having you here. Thank you for having me here. Uh, So this all started because my daughter and I were talking and she said, Dad, my teacher, Ms. Torres, is really great, and you should have her on the podcast. And I said, great, you should email her or talk to her and say, introduce her to me. Well, she never did that. (laughs) She's a little busy, you know, freshman year of high school. That's right. So, yep. So eventually we did meet. Um, I think she did say you should connect on Facebook and we did that, but but then, uh, but then we met in person, and uh, I immediately uh, felt a connection and knew that they because you were at a car wash that our church was putting on, and I thought that was pretty cool that you'd support our kids that way. And one of your other students was like, "I'm just waiting for Ms. Torres to get here." And as soon as you got there, she jumped up and went over and started washing the car, and was like really excited to to wash your car and. Those kinds of things, like when kids are like, I, I want to serve this person, that means something. So I was excited to to finally get you on the podcast and and here we are. So what, from your perspective, um, do people need to get out of this interview we do today? I hope that they feel, um, as teachers, I, I hope that they feel seen and heard and that there are different ways of going about teaching in the 21st century. I think that that many teachers like me have this feeling that uh, they wanna do more and our students deserve more and we don't really know how to ask for the help we need. And so I kind of just went out and got it on my own. And I think that, you know, one of my gifts is, like I said before, I'm a collector of, of cool people, you know, who also have a shared heart and a shared vision for our youth. And so in doing that, kind of collecting collecting people and personalities who also uh, want to support and see the next generation be more mindful and even social emotionally more healthy than ours, come willingly and are willing to volunteer and are willing to work with me. So I've just been very, very lucky to have this opportunity and to partner with these incredible people um, and then to get connected with someone as incredible as you through Cali. So that's what I want them to hear, that there are ways to get their needs met as teachers and to meet the needs of our students. And it's not rocket science and it doesn't have to cost a whole lot of money and it doesn't have to be a $100,000 curriculum adoption through our districts. Yeah, yeah. There are simple solutions that people can start implementing right away. 
one of the things that you uh, that we touched on, there was a lot that we touched on, is uh, roles in a resilient school. And so, uh, if you don't have that uh, PDF that I've put out, uh, resilientschools.com/roles, that tells you what you should be doing. And so, I think as you talk through this today, that is like an undercurrent. That is not the whole thing, but. What's been very clear is that you have defined what your role is as the teacher and mm-hmm. what the therapist's role is as we get into discussing this whole thing. So um, there's a lot of good links in the show notes for this one at uh, resilientschools.com slash 21. So uh, good resources, definitely worth uh, checking out. And I appreciate you being here and being part of uh, Resilient Schools. Is there is there any special message that you want to send to my daughter, Callie, because she's going to be editing this and I like to, you know, give her a little surprise when she's editing sometimes? Absolutely. She has been she has been so instrumental in then con- connecting me, like I said, to another just really cool person with a shared heart and a shared vision for our kids. Uh, she's part of my one of my most favorite classes I've ever had. Their energy is so great. They are naturally kind and compassionate kids. And she is one of those wise little humans, like I said, who just make me feel so fulfilled as a teacher. And it's the best job in the world. And it's because of kids like Kelly. So well done, dad. And yeah. uh, like like you said, she put us in connection. I will forever be grateful for that. So thank you for this yeah. time and opportunity today. Yeah, Kelly, that is a great testament to you. Way to go. Um, that's awesome. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah. Uh, I don't really do much. I'm just, you know, her dad and she is, she was born amazing and will continue to be amazing. So uh, thank you. And we will get to the rest of this interview with Emily in just a moment. So Emily, would you tell us why you chose to do this counselor in a classroom approach for your, for your class? Sure. So about eight years ago, Uh, And I've been teaching 21 years. This is my 21st year. So about eight years ago, um, I just noticed in my students that there was a there was a shift in behaviors and motivations. And so I volunteered to be a teacher for a program called AVID. Um, And AVID was for first generation college students for their families. Um, And it was a kind of a preparatory class that gave them tutoring and gave them organizational skills and there were a lot of really awesome things that um, drew me to AVID. And I still think there's a lot of awesome things in AVID, but the students that I ended up with were such an interesting little group. And as I went through that year with them, I realized that it wasn't organizational skills that they need. Um, They really needed social emotional skills. They needed to know what to do with, with their stresses, with their triggers, um, with their lifestyles. They needed to learn how to make choices, they needed resiliency skills. And that's not what AVID was designed to do. So to no fault of the school or to them, I just felt like I didn't have those to give them. And I wasn't a good teacher for them. And there's nothing worse as a teacher than feeling ill-equipped for your students. Um, and I thought, how could I go this many years and then and still not feel like I, I have what they need? And I was just really... Um, I was struggling in the profession Uh, and I went to my principal and she was actually starting a program, a project-based learning program at the time that brought a counselor into the classroom. And I was like, and she said, we're looking for a teacher, an English teacher. And I was like, I'm it, sign me up. That's what I need. I need something to offer these kids. 
um, that is not just a binder, not an organizational skill, but a life skill, um, something that truly I can feel like I'm directing them towards something that's going to to help them be a complete person on the other side of this. And so that's what took my journey this direction. Gotcha. Very good. So I uh, started being project-based learning and mm-hmm. turned into trauma-informed practices uh, pretty quickly. Why did you feel like like this was so important to you personally rather than just like, you know, this is just the next evolution of my own personal growth, but why, why did this matter so much to you aside from just feeling ill-equipped for your students? You know, we, we did this little project in the AVID class where students, it was a, a soapbox, soapbox project where students got to pick something that they felt really strongly about and got kind of got to create an argument um, and present it on behalf of where they, they felt personally connected. And I remember student after student, the things that they chose to present just shocked me. I had one student who was really adamant and I thought he was just kind of messing around and pulling my leg at the beginning. He wanted to make an argument for legalizing prostitution. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, whatever engages you at this point, I'm willing to listen as long as you, you know, check the boxes and, and use your skills. And he presented this presentation about how his mother, a single mother, um, worked at a convenience store. She did not make enough money. She chose prostitution um, on the side to help raise her son. And he said, if that had been legalized, she would have been able to get childcare for me. She would have been able to get sick leave. And he made this argument that that actually drew me in and made me realize, holy cow, the stories these kids have to tell the things that they have overcome are so much greater than organization skills already. How do I get them to see that they are really holding on to something incredible and their stories, you know, are their superpowers. Um, And I just knew it was time to meet these kids where they were at and allow them to be seen and allow them to be heard. And, and and really it was, it was him and a handful of other students who had some pretty incredible backstories um, and really didn't see themselves being able to pay for college. And, you know, all that we do to push kids towards college, which I'm not against, by the way, my own son is in college right now, but it ultimately doesn't show them how to, to pay their way through college. It doesn't show them how to come out on the other side of that debt. And I just think we need to, we need to offer more. And that's when I realized one thing that we could, we could be doing, we, we have this opportunity, really this um, responsibility in high schools to give them the resiliency skills on the other side of this, no matter what they choose. And so that class really inspired me to look at my own practices and realize there was more I could do and there was more I needed to do, but I needed help. You know, I'm not a therapist. I don't have a psych degree. I was an English teacher. And so that felt like a, a good option to pair up with somebody who knew that. Um, and I've never looked back. I could never go back to education without that component. Yeah. So, so let's describe what that component is now for your day-to-day work. So you have two teachers in the classroom. One is a counselor, one is you. Tell me more about how this works. So I'm, I'm the only teacher. Um, The counselor comes in one time a week and the class is devoted. Well, it's part of our practices actually. So it's evolved over the years to become um, something where the students, they have daily practices. So every day we do meditation we do journaling, and then we do regular curriculum. One class, I have two classes now, one class has our therapist on Wednesdays. And part of 
what we do is just students are responsible only for listening and for taking notes. There is no um, requirement to share. There is no requirement to participate, really. That just tends to happen authentically because I think as students realize that they're in a safe space and they're talking about things um, that they've been carrying around, it feels natural and it feels good for them to have a place to put it um, and to be seen and to be heard. But what the therapist does is, like I said, I have two. It started with a gentleman named Kent Hoffman. And Kent Hoffman, um, he's well known in the Spokane area and he works with Circle of Security, which is something that Spokane Public Schools has worked with in the past. Vanessa Behan works with Circle of Security. And it's just, it's a real compassionate, a compassion focused way of teaching everybody how to understand their emotions and what to do with them. And so the first thing I noticed it did is it gave us words to put to, to our feelings. It gave us um, something, it gave us a, a way to take something really hard and kind of put it on the table and all look at it together from different angles. And it just immediately allowed the students to feel like they had a place every week to just breathe and sit with whatever was going on in their lives. And so in doing that, I didn't have to worry about my students so much. I didn't worry about them all week long like I had been before. I didn't have this kind of savior complex, like I need to help this kid with that and this kid with that. And I think every teacher has that, especially coming in. And when you do that, when you feel like you're the fixer, you know, you suffer, your family suffers, everything suffers. And we cannot be all of those things. But by offering this one thing once a week, this one person who would come in and allow them a place to put to put whatever they were carrying that week, it made the rest of the week go smoothly. Kids knew it was coming. So they weren't just wondering when they were going to blow up or explode or have their big cry. They knew they had a place to sit with those emotions. And I really got more done than I did before because it allowed that. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the things that like, we're so worried about not doing these other things because of the productivity and kids achievement and all that kind of stuff. And what we find is that when we do these things, we actually get better achievement, better results from that. Um, so I want to highlight a couple of episodes from my transformative principle podcast real quick. Javon McCormick, uh, he went by JT McCormick back then. Uh, but that is a great episode that is in the show notes for this uh, podcast at resilientschools.com slash 21. The title of that podcast is Stop Making Excuses. And he talks about how we make so many excuses for why something won't work and we blame it on our circumstances and what's going on. And he came from just about as bad a situation as you can have in the United States and uh, and is now the CEO of a multi-million dollar company and really um, was able to overcome a lot of challenging things. The other one that I want to talk about is, uh, the episode called three tips to overcome the savior complex. Um, because that is a very real thing. We feel like we need to save these kids. The reality is we don't need to save anybody. We can teach them some skills. We can, we can help them. That's our job as educators is to teach them how to live. And we, we, we are so short-sighted in education that we think we're preparing them for the next grade or the the quote-unquote real world. And the reality is, is that the world is real. 
no matter what age they are. And, and we have to recognize that and see that, that we don't have to save them. We just have to be a support to them. And there's a, there's a difference between those things. So you have a counselor come into the classroom. They, they do these sessions with kids once a week. Now, is this something that kids opt into? Is this a regular Mm -hmm. English class or is this something different? Tell us about that process. Yeah. So they get run. Um, and I, like I said, this didn't, this didn't happen overnight, right? This has been, um, in, in the works for, this is my seventh year doing it. So students get recommended by their 10th grade English teachers. So typically, and we're, we're a close staff. We talk a lot and, you know, we care deeply about our students. And that's one thing I love and trust about my school. They, they know what this class is and they recognize a student with potential who is maybe has something socially, emotionally going on. That's, keeping them from performing as well as we know that they can. And so they'll reach out to me and be like, Hey, here's a kid I I'm worried about. They have a lot going on. Um, I think with that little extra piece that your classroom offers, they would be a good match. So working with my administration, um, one of my principals and myself, we interview the student and we let them know, like someone saw you, someone noticed that this would be a good thing for you. Uh, this is what we do. Are you interested? Um, so they absolutely have the option. And usually they're so relieved that somebody noticed, they are quick to say yes, and or they've heard about the class from somebody else. So I've also had students just come directly to me and say, how do I get in here? Yeah. Like, I know I need this. <laughs> so, um, it's never it's never difficult getting students for the class. If anything, I think we need more of them. My goal is to see it at every high school. I'd like to open it to every student. I right now we're focusing on those who need the most access, but I, I don't think there's a student out there who doesn't need access to um, healthy social emotional language and understanding our brain development and what's going on inside of them. Uh, We connect it directly to the curriculum. We use it to talk about characters. We can talk about hard things. We can be compassionate to the character and make sense and, and understand that, Hey, what advice would we give them? Or, you know, why can we can be compassionate to them in this situation? And so it just, it's helpful on so many levels and that's how they get into the class. But like I said, my, my goal is to expand it. You mentioned that you're not a therapist. And so Mm -hmm. you don't have these skills or the training to do this. This is one of the things that I, that I really harp on, on this show about understanding what your role is and absolutely. And when you understand what your role is, then you know what you need to do. But if you think that you need to be a therapist and you're a teacher, then Mm -hmm. you're doing the wrong thing. So Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the difference between what your role is as the teacher and what, and, and like the, the therapist comes in one time a week, but, Mm -hmm. but you're doing other things that are uh, therapy adjacent, right. (laughs) During the rest of the days of the week. So talk a little bit about that uh, role delineation and things like that. Sure. So one thing I did after our initial year of working with Kent Hoffman coming into the room, I went out and got trauma-informed trained and I became actually a trainer, a trauma-informed trainer for other teachers. And I have trained at other schools as well, but I did that through the Community Resilience Initiative and they're they're a national and now I think globally recognized um, trauma-informed community um, that takes healing very seriously and believes we all, we are all better when we're trauma-informed and we are, 
working from our hearts to be connected. So they're not specific to education, but that at least gave me some background and allowed me to feel, I guess, more confident in that I was taking some difficult students or I was taking some difficult stories. And now I felt like that that's what really helped me with that whole savior complex. Um, I could teach kids. I could help support kids in finding their own resiliency and not and, and let them see themselves as the heroes of their own story. And so when the counselor would come in um, before, I felt like he had to have all the answers for us. And he doesn't either. And he doesn't pretend to. You know, he's like, here we are in this experiment of life together. And, you know, th these are the, the things that I know. And these are the things that we all need. And then he lets us kind of sort it out through the week. So. We also had another therapist who was kind of working with the teachers and his name is Russell Colts and he works for um, EWU, Eastern Washington State University. And I invited him to come into my classroom because he really breaks down the brain states for kids in a way that I felt was really easy for them to understand. And again, it gave us a whole nother set of words to use for our emotions. Kids use the word triggered a lot. And so what he does is he talks about the threat in the brain and when we go into threat and why we have threat. And again, it's a very compassionate approach to when we're in a feeling and emotion and stopping and going, wow, like I need to look at what, what triggered me in this moment, um, what set me off? Because then by doing that, I can kind of calm the amygdala down and I can take a minute and I can notice, hey, maybe I need to go for a walk. And so him working with him these last seven years now, um, and reading his books, I use that language. And I think that's where your the next question is coming. I use that in my other classes as well, because it just makes sense for students to have an understanding of their own emotional states and their feelings. And when we're able to apply that to literature, it just feels like so these two should have been paired from the beginning. This is something that we should be teaching all kids. And when we can have a conversation around a character, it removes it personally from maybe what we're experiencing, but we can still look at ways in which we can solve our own problems. You you started touching on this question of how does it bleed into your other classes? I want mm -hmm. you to go a little bit deeper into that because as okay. as we mentioned in the introduction, we got connected because you're my daughter's teacher and she's not mm -hmm. in one of these special classes, but she feels uh, like you're a really fantastic teacher and uh, is connecting with you on, on a different level than she has with teachers in the past and says things about you and what she's learned from you in your day-to-day -day work with her. Things that you're not like, here's an important lesson, everybody. And then you go through it, but just things that you have practices that you've done and things like that. So talk maybe about some of those practices that you do in your other classes to help them uh, feel connected and build resilience as well. Sure. Okay, so my last, the last therapist I have to mention, I have to bring him in so that I can talk about this too, is, is Sean Barrett. And he's my, Sean and Russell are my current class therapists and Sean trained under Kent Hoffman, Circle of Security. So Sean, um, he puts it, it, well, he asks the students when he comes in, are we thinking beings who feel or are we feeling beings who think? And the students sit with that for a minute and often they say we're both, but education only, only teaches one of us. It teaches the thinking being who feels. 
And so learning that from him and recognizing we are so much more complex than that, I just really feel like it's part of our responsibility to see our students also as these awesome little feeling beings who are constantly thinking. And I think it's very important for them to see themselves for what they are, they're in progress. And I always tell them, you are these awesome people in progress. And I want them to be compassionate with themselves because as you know, as somebody in education, what we don't prepare teachers for is the losses and the hardships. And I have lost five students to suicide in my 21 years. And that is way too many. It's just too many. And I don't know a teacher out there who doesn't have a heartbreaking story of a student that they cared about and loved. And you spend all of your time looking back thinking, what could I have done differently? And at least now I feel like I'm doing something differently. They know that I see them for both. I appreciate both. And I want them to have that compassion for themselves. So I teach the brain states that I learned from Dr. Colts um, in my regular classes because I want them to know that they are a work in progress. I want them to have patience with themselves. I want them to understand when they have big feelings how to be compassionate to themselves in those moments. I think, well, I know nobody is harder on us than we are on ourselves. We talk to ourselves so negatively. We are so unforgiving of our own mistakes and teenagers are fantastic at being their worst enemies. And oftentimes we'll talk about that and the voices in their own head, how they would never say that to another person, what they are willing to wake up and say to themselves. So we can teach them and if we can use, I get so many great texts in the freshman curriculum that allow me to talk about that. And we can look at Romeo and Juliet. You know, these are teenagers who obviously it's a terrible and tragic story, but what if we were to look at them for a moment and say, we could talk to them for a minute. Let's pull them aside for a minute and say, slow down. Like, let's talk about what's going on. Let's look at what they needed and they don't have. Let's look at their lack of friend support, their lack of community connection and you know even though we're taking it maybe a different direction than the, than the curriculum the analyze the character uh, we're going on a much deeper level that allows them to see another teenager who's struggling and allows them to practice compassionate compassion towards them so that they can then turn it hopefully to themselves when they find themselves in that very defeated space because even though nobody wants to talk about it we all know they have these very very dark thoughts from time to time especially at that age and I too have a daughter who's a freshman and I care deeply that someone tells them there's nothing wrong with you for having those thoughts. But when those thoughts become something bigger, when they become daily, then it's time to ask for help. And I don't think that we're doing a good enough job as a society teaching our, our, our young people to be compassionate to themselves and to ask for the things that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. One thing that that I've been learning recently, I've been uh, trying to improve my coaching ability, and because uh, that's most of what I do for my day job is coach school leaders. And I I read a book called Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shermin, and um, and he talks about the ten saboteurs that we each have that are the the things that speak so badly to us and. Mm -hmm. This was mind-blowing research that that he presented that the the main one is the judge, which is the the main saboteur that we all have that judges us for everything and speaks horribly to us no matter who we are. 
And it's something that never goes away. Now, in my own personal faith belief, I believe that that's Satan. And the way to combat that is to is to uh, learn to overcome it, just like we learn to overcome any kind of temptation. And, and that all makes sense. But from his research-based perspective, uh, he talks about the judge being the, the thing that talks to us poorly and tells us we're not good enough, we can't do this. But then there are nine other saboteurs that also play a role in that. And these are all accomplice saboteurs that that find things like you're, you're not perfect enough or you need to achieve more or you need to be afraid of this thing over here. What that uh, research talks about is that there are ways to overcome these things by identifying them and then uh, and then practicing how to become better in overcoming them so that they are not in control. And I really think that this type of approach of recognizing what we're going through, that we are more complex than just about learning uh, academically, and we need to be thinking about other things and improving ourselves in other ways is is really incredibly powerful. And, and it was when I was listening to this, uh, this audio book with my daughter that she said, I've heard Ms. Torres talk about this in class and she, she should be on your podcast. And I, it was then that I was like, okay, whatever, whatever's happening in class is, is working in that my daughter is understanding it in a different way that I think is, is really powerful. So, so I think that that is really cool what you're doing. Tell me about what your, your end game is. What are you looking for? Uh, at the end of your career, you're going to look back and say, here's here's what I was able to accomplish with this. I think the goal is always to do no harm. And um, that sounds that sounds silly and small, but I think that we in in rules of power have unintentionally at times the ability to do a lot of harm. And I just want to make sure that when I look back, I've done more things that are helpful to students and I've given them more skills than, than we have harmed them as a society. And I, I know I'm part of that. So just recently I met with some students of mine who are adults now. They were in that first, first year of the program and they have their own kids and they talk about how they use those that learning in their parenting. And I think that is my end goal that these students, they where they may not remember you know, the um, plot pyramid for a certain um, story or a certain type of analysis, they remember compassion, they remember love, they remember their brain states, they remember how to take a deep breath. Um, and they they know that they're, they're worthy um, of going into this world and doing great things and that things that happen to them are not who they are and how they choose to move forward in this world is with power and strength and confidence and I believe that can happen when we partner with people, when we're not afraid to ask for help. I'm always quick to show the students, like, I ask for what I need. I know that I don't have all the answers. I bring in people and I sit with them when we have the therapist in the classroom because I'm still working on it. I'm still working on myself. I'm still getting better. And we need to show them that you are a life learner and we are there to learn with them and next to them. And I believe my students have incredible wisdom and they teach me every year. 
And I, I know that teachers are begging for more supports. And I think this is something that not only helps students, it, it helps teachers. And if we could get this in every high school, at least in our district to get started with, I believe this is something that is absolutely reasonable and something we can do in every high school in America. And it doesn't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in a curriculum and it doesn't have to be this top-down system. It just has to have a willing teacher and it has to have a partnership and it has to have people like me. And I believe people like me are in every classroom in America. I think that's what draws a certain personality type to kids is because we deeply care about them and we see the potential in them and we see them all at kids at hope, not kids at risk. These are these are the next generation and they're kinder and they're brighter and they're smarter and let's meet them where they're at at very least let's give them what they need so i guess my big goal is to see something like this this community partnership in every high school across america i mean if you're gonna let me dream big let's just let's just put it all over the universe right <laughs> i'm all for it that sounds great well, uh, Emily, thank you so much for being here, for part being part of the Resilient Schools podcast. This was a great interview, and I look forward to chatting with you again in the future about what you are going to be able to accomplish. So thank you. If you like what you heard, there are three ways that you can get more from it. First, share the podcast with your friends and talk about it with them as well. Second, go to resilientschools.com and download the roles in a Resilient Schools cheat sheet Third, reach out to us if you need training around any of the topics on this podcast by going to resilientschools.com.